Good morning. My name is Mackenzie Houston. Today we'll be reading from Proverbs chapter 2, verses 10 through 22, which can be found on page 528 in the Pew Bible. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 10 through 22. For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you, understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. Men's paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of light. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Mackenzie. Well, today we continue in our second sermon in our series on Proverbs, hitting some key themes and ideas that come from this book. Uh, last week, Chris set the tone for us by explaining that, the, that Proverbs is a book about wisdom and instruction, that it is in a way a parent speaking to their child, teaching them how to live life well and to live life with integrity. He also explained that wisdom is the basis or foundation of creation. Have you thought about that? That wisdom is the basis and the foundation of the universe. God has designed the universe with a moral reality, and our responsibility is to go with the grain of that morality, to go with the grain of that reality, and we need wisdom to do that. But in, our, but in our human nature, we don't like to be told what to do. We don't like it. Even from like the earliest of ages, we just don't like to be told what to do. We want to create our own moral reality. Kind of like sometimes when our kids don't like to be told what to do. Our kids have this tendency to want to create their own moral reality. We struggle with this. We need help. We need wisdom. We need instruction these commands that God gives us in Proverbs are woven into a tapestry that helps us explain how all of human reality is supposed to be put together. And so what we have to do is we have to fight. We have to fight with our nature. We need to, and we need to, because of this fight, we need to have a posture of humility to receive wisdom. Because this book, as we keep going for the next six to seven weeks, Proverbs is going to make us feel kind of uncomfortable in some spots because we're going to talk about the need for wisdom in relationships. Today we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about our need for wisdom with our money. We're going to talk about wisdom in sex and other areas, and it's going to confront us, and we need to acknowledge, hey, I need help. I'm vulnerable here. I don't have all the answers. 
And to get to that place takes honesty and transparency. And at the intersection of honesty, transparency, and love is hope that we can change and we can live within this grain of the moral reality that God has created. This week, we're going to take what we saw last week about wisdom and apply it to the need for wisdom in relationships. We've all had that friend as a kid or in high school and college that could get us to do dumb stuff. Anyone had a friend like that? There was this guy I was in college with uh, whose name was Dan. That is his real name. Uh, His name was Dan, and he was unbelievable. He was a lot of fun, but he was unbelievable because he could get people to do the dumbest stuff. He was born and raised in Colorado, and he was an incredible skier. Like, I think he started skiing uh, when he was like three years old. And he was your prototypical daredevil. I mean, he would just do the wild, wildest and craziest stunts. I guess for the adrenaline rush of it all, I kind of, to be honest with you, chalked it up to some of the legalized natural product from Colorado. Um, but I don't know if that had anything to do with it. But he just loved that adrenaline rush. He had something like, I'm not making this up, he had something like three concussions in his life by the time we were in college. He was just a total nut. Uh, We would get back to campus from uh, after summer, and it was like, hey, Dan, it's good to see you. Wasn't sure if you're going to be dead or alive at the end of the summer. And he'd be like, yeah, I know, man, it was a crazy summer. Um, We went to college in Wisconsin, which isn't really known for its skiing, and he was a skiing addict. Even today, he's a ski instructor in Big Sky, Montana. So because we weren't exactly living in a hot spot spot known for skiing in Wisconsin, he would get up on the roof in the winter, he would get up on the roof of of a dorm, about a three-story dorm after it snowed, and he would ski off of that dorm down onto the ground below and get other idiots to do it with him. He just had this way of getting people to do really dumb stuff. And we have those people in our lives. We all have friends or family that could get us to do or sometimes say things that normally we wouldn't. Why is that? Sure, we all love a good ER story. We love a good ER visit to tell about how we got that scar. But I think it's it's a little bit deeper than that. It's because you and I are relational creatures. How we think, act, what we say is influenced a lot by who we are around. Neurobiologists tell us that when we are born into this world, we are looking for someone looking for us. In the delivery room, a baby is looking for someone to bond with. And in our earliest days, months, and years of our lives, we are learning to relate to people around us. And that desire and need to bond with another human never goes away. This is hardwired into every human regardless of our personality type. Because as image bearers of God, we are created relational because at his core, He is relational. Don't miss that. That you and I are relational because God is relational. This is fundamental to our humanity. And and, and it's fundamental to Scripture because the story of redemption shows us that in the story of redemption, a relational God steps into our world to restore our broken relationship with him. 
Scripture also shows how human relationships have been really complicated since almost the beginning of time. Scripture as a whole is a book about relationship, how the God of the universe longs for a relationship with you and I. So since the time we were born, with us looking for someone looking for us, God sees us and knows us and he's for us. Scripture teaches that we have three primary relationships. That we have a relationship with God, we have a relationship with others, and we have a relationship with ourselves. And what we see in Scripture is that the quality of our life is dictated on the quality of these three relationships. We also see in Scripture that we are hurt in relationships, but that we can also be healed in relationships. And so what is so helpful is that Proverbs is a relational book, and it mentions each of these three relationships. It gives wisdom on how we can relate with God. Proverbs gives us wisdom on how we can relate with others, and it also talks about how we can relate with ourselves. But today, really for the sake of time, we're going to see the wisdom that, that Proverbs provides on how do we navigate relationship with other people. We could spend weeks to seeing what Proverbs says about relationships and the wisdom that is needed. Uh, that's why we're asking you to, along with us, read uh, a chapter a day through Proverbs through the month of June and July. And as we take that chapter a day, as we read through, through Proverbs together through our scripture reading plan, we're going to see so much helpful instruction, encouragement, correction. Proverbs talks about the need for wisdom in marriage relationships, in family relationships, work relationships, friendships, relationships with other believers, relationships with people that aren't believers, and on and on and on. It's a relational book. And what we see in Proverbs is a pattern. And in this pattern, we have positive elements of relationships given. We have negative, rela- uh, negative elements of relationships given, but we're also given hope. Because a relational God has moved towards us in relationship to heal the negative side of relationships and embodied the positive elements of relationships to meet our greatest relational need of salvation. And what I'm hoping and praying for this morning is that no matter how big of an introvert or extrovert we are, no matter what relational capacity we have, that we would see that we need relationships. And how can we navigate them in a spiritually healthy way by the hope that we have in the work of Christ? Because we're going to see in Proverbs that our souls are permeable. We'll talk about what that means in just a minute. We're going to see that our souls are permeable, and there's a good side to this. There's a a beautiful side to this, but there's also a warning of this reality of the permeability of our souls. And then we're going to see a call not to isolate. Man, there's so many passages in Proverbs that we could turn to today, but I want us to look in chapter 2 of Proverbs that we just had read. And in this chapter, we see the value of wisdom, how it comes from God, how we need to be attentive to it, and how valuable wisdom is and to seek it out. But then in verse 10 through 12 that was just read, we see it say, look at it with me, we see it says that wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Guard us from what? 
What do we need to be guarded from? What, what can wisdom, what can the, the going with the grain of the moral reality that God has given us, what can that guard us from what? What do we need to be guarded from? It goes on to say from the way of evil, men of perverted speech, those that walk in the way of darkness, those who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. This is explained that we need wisdom for our protection from those that would turn God's ways upside down, that would push against the moral reality that God has created, and that we would, be, uh, we would be protected from those that would turn God's ways upside down and tra- draw us into uh, unethical chaos. That's what sin is. Sin is a call to an unethical chaos. To go against the moral reality that God has established is to be invited and to, to jump into the swamp of unethical chaos. And so Proverbs 2 is explained that we need, from, we need protection from those that would draw us into that. Proverbs 2 goes on to say that wisdom will guard those that obtain it from flattery. That wisdom uh, would protect us from those that would invite us to, get, to engage in sexual immorality. Why does Proverbs give, these, give us these warnings? Why does consistently throughout Proverbs we see commands and warnings and and, and caution? It's because our souls are permeable. Proverbs goes to great lengths to warn us and instruct us about the need for wisdom for relationships because our souls are permeable. That means our souls are influenced by the presence of others. In just a little bit, if you have kids in our kids ministry, we're going to ask that you pick them up. And as you stand in that doorway, they're going to see you and their faces are going to light up. Your kids, your toddlers, their their faces are going to light up and the volunteers' faces are going to line up. And and thank you for coming. And everyone's faces are going to light up. They're going to be so excited to see you. Why? Their whole demeanor is going to change. Why? Because you're their parent. You're their caregiver. You didn't forget them. In fact, you remembered them. And because their little souls have been influenced by your presence. I said earlier that from the earliest moments of our lives, we are learning to relate to the people and world around us. And based, on upon, based upon how those experiences went dictates how we relate with people today because our souls are permeable. We all have stories. We all have families of origin, and all these things combine to, to dictate how we relate to people in the world around us. The permeability of our soul is the capacity our souls have to absorb and internalize who and what is around us. Sometimes this permeability is by choice. The friends we choose to spend time with, the spouse you are married to and live with, we may Uh, intentionally choose the people, books, images, messages, and social environment to which we expose our souls to. However, there's also a lot that our souls are exposed to that we have no control over, like the families we are born into, and so much of the world that we internalize without conscious choice. The reality of our soul's permeability carries the idea of who I am with shapes my soul. 
The Proverbs teach us that our souls are like a sponge soaking up water. We are able to soak in the presence of others, and they are able to soak in our our presence. Even right now, subconsciously, we are right now soaking in the presence of each other. Our brains and the lower right-hand part of our brain is soaking in the presence of others and interpreting the meaning of this entire experience because our souls are permeable. Proverbs even mentions a few different times how our souls can be changed by the presence of others and the words that they say. In Proverbs 12, verse 25, it says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Proverbs 15, 1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stirs up anger. We routinely experience the impact of others. Someone's harsh criticism can make our souls wither, and that criticism could linger with us for days. We've, we've all been there. But at the same time, someone's praise, letting us know they see us, they care about us, can encourage us and inspire us as they permeate us to our core. Our souls can be permeated penetrated. The soul can be changed. Thank God for that, that our souls are permeable, that they can change because Jesus with his presence can enter in and change us at deep levels. God has designed our souls to be changed. They can be transformed. Jesus can change us in places that we're not even aware of. He can give us closeness and intimacy with us and transform not just our actions, but why we do what we do. Scripture teaches the truth of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. God, the Holy Spirit, who is a person, takes residence in the Christian soul. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit can be understood in spiritual ways, and this shows that God has designed our souls to be permeable. When we believe in Jesus and we begin to follow him, the Holy Spirit indwells us and is the the presence of God in us. And that presence is everything. Jesus told his disciples in the New Testament, right before he was about to die, be resurrected, and ascended into heaven, Jesus told his disciples in John 14 that the helper, some translations say the advocate, others say the, the, the friend, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He, Jesus said he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I taught you. Because God has created our souls to be permeable. That allows the Holy Spirit to indwell us. So there's a beauty to this reality of the permeability of our soul, but there's also a danger to this reality. Because since our souls are influenced by the presence of others and the relationships that we are in, there can be side effects to this. Because our souls can be moved in a direction away from intimacy with God based on who we are with. So the ability to decide, discern who we are going to be with can be tricky and we need wisdom for this. When we do have those opportunities to choose who or what our souls are exposed to and and our souls internalize, we need wisdom. Over and over again, we see this truth in Proverbs. One place is Proverbs 4, 14 through 19. We don't have time to turn over there, so you might just want to jot that one down. 
But Proverbs 4, 14 through 19, it says, Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know whatever, what, what, what they, whatever they stumble. Another one to write down is Proverbs 22, 24 through 25. Proverbs says, Make no friendship with a man given in anger. Nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Even though we can't always help who permeates our soul, we need to take caution to, to who we allow to penetrate our soul, and that takes wisdom. We need to guard our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart, guard your heart, for out of it are the springs of life. One of the ways we do that is guarding what voices we listen to, what people we allow into our lives, and what images we take in. So we see this reality of the permeability of our souls in Proverbs and the wisdom that is needed to live with this reality, but we also see a call not to isolate. With this idea of our souls being permeable in mind, Proverbs calls us not to isolate ourselves, that we need to go with the grain of how God designed the universe to, to work for us to be in meaningful, life-giving relationships. Proverbs 18.1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. We said earlier that we are made in the image of God, so we are relational. And we need to be in healthy relationships. But we also have this tendency to isolate. Maybe if we're not careful, we could hear Proverbs warnings about relationships. And that could cause us uh, to be fearful of damage to our souls. And maybe out of that fear, we could be overcautious and take steps too far and isolate ourselves. That's so why we see holy huddles established, or we put ourselves and those we love in these, these bubbles, and, and just we say, all right, I'm not going to engage in relationship, and then we isolate ourselves. Maybe we have been in family systems, friendships, relationships, maybe even churches that have been hurtful and harmful, maybe even abusive, and so we don't want to get hurt again, and so we isolate and we live out of a posture of, I'm never going to trust again. Now, let me, do, let, let, me, let me say this. That is completely understandable. In fact, a sign of maturity and scriptural health is the ability to put up boundaries. But hear me, choosing who we allow to influence our souls is so important because honestly, a huge percentage of things that happen to us in our lives, we would not choose. But if we're not careful, we can say, you know what? I don't need relationship. You know what? I'm not going to let anyone into my life. It'd just be better off for me to be a lone ranger. I'm going to put up walls so that I feel safe. And what we, are, what we are doing is we're missing the chance to live out the way that we were created relationally. 
Maybe there's a fear of close relationships because of the fear of being known. If we get close to someone, they're going to see how broken we are, the weaknesses we have, the wounds that we, we carry, the sin we keep falling into. And so what we do is we arrange our lives to where we never get too close to someone. I remember it being mentioned a little bit in seminary and in internships that I did over the years and in other trainings that I received. And I, was, I remember being told not to get too close to people that you might lead in the church. Isn't that crazy? Like, I remember being told clearly, don't get too close to the people that you might lead in the church because you're going to have to make decisions that they may not like. And that could affect the relationship. I remember being in these contexts and it being explained that you can be friendly but not completely friends with people in church if you're on staff because they're going to see your weaknesses. They're going to see your wounds. They're going to see your sin and it could be held against you. So no wonder the American church is so messed up when we're training pastors and leaders not to be in relationships, to go against the relational, the relational creation that they, they were designed to be in. And as I was hearing that, I even practiced that in some ways, and there was a part of me dying inside because it was like, don't get too close. And even today, I'm still learning and fighting not to isolate myself from relationships. And I think if we're honest, there's been times in our lives that we've all believed that lie. That we have to isolate ourselves or put on a mask or a filter to avoid getting hurt in relationships. Based on the circumstances in our lives, we've learned to hold people at arm's length because, uh, arm's length because it could cost us something. Or to trust ourselves but not trust other people so we don't get hurt. Sometimes we've learned to not trust ourselves and trust other people. And what happens is the life begins to literally get sucked out of us. We can get taken advantage of us. Uh, 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 we, get, we can get taken advantage of. So then we land in the spot of we don't trust other people and we don't trust ourselves. And so we isolate ourselves just to, just to survive. And what happens is when we isolate ourselves, we, get, we begin to be shaped by our shame, voices from our past, what our culture says. When we isolate, what we do, when we isolate, we can begin to settle for synthetic versions of relationships like social media, pornography, sex that give us a hit of relational connection, but it can't last. And so what we have to do is we have to chase that next hit for connection. Maybe when we isolate, we, we try to curb our loneliness by being endlessly busy, trying to be efficient, trying to fulfill our dreams, achieving, accomplishing, and producing, all because we don't know how to be with our lonely. But all of our doing, it doesn't alleviate our loneliness. It simply masks or numbs a deeper reality of our need and desire for relational connection and communion. And here in Proverbs, we hear a call, a call to not isolate ourselves, but wisely enter into relationships that are life-giving to our souls. And a way we do that is by being in community. 
We desperately need community. Whether we realize it or not, we need community because our souls are permeable. And we can't isolate ourselves. We need community. We need meaningful relationships within the body of Christ. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. What Proverbs does is equates a friend and a brother in this verse. We need spiritual family that can be found in the body of Christ because adversity is going to come. It's unavoidable. The common human experience is suffering. There was a time I thought I could be immune to suffering, but you know what? Suffering found me. And so adversity is going to come, and God in his goodness has given the church to us to love, care, and nurture our souls. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope that you can see that one of the benefits of following Jesus is that you inherit a family. A family that can rally around you and care for you. Sometimes we're a little strange, but we can rally around you and care for you. If you are a follower of Jesus, lean into community. Be known. Take the risk. Be known. Take that risk of jumping into community because your soul is permeable. And you need that life-giving human presence in your life. And it can be hard. It can be really hard because relationships are messy. Community is complicated. It takes a lot of work. It takes intentionality. It takes time. It takes vulnerability. But I would invite you to take that risk and jump into community. I love that you and I can have community here at Hope. We work really hard to provide avenues for that to be cultivated. Because we know in life, adversity is going to come. And we need those meaningful relationships to buoy us in those times. I've experienced that myself. I think deep down, we all want community. We want to be known. What we really crave is family. We want to be with. Some of those steps towards that in our community here at Hope is being in a small group, an opportunity to learn how do we care for one another. We have men's and women's events, a chance to hear each other's stories, to study scripture together, but really an opportunity to connect and take steps towards relationship. What, but community isn't just being together. It also requires service. If a family is just together but nothing is done and everyone's just kind of sitting around, it could get kind of weird because that could create a culture of taking or just consuming of the community, of consuming from the family that is being offered. So there has to be a path towards serving one another. Just here in our community at Hope, we have a few ways to serve our city through outward-facing ministries. If we were just a church that was just all about ourselves here in these walls, things would get really weird. So we have ministries that we can be involved in like Freedom Hoops, Single Moms KC, Hillcrest Transitional Living, a homeless ministry. We have ways to serve each other through meal trains, small groups, prayer ministry, and our kids' ministry. Man, I love the vision our church has for families serving families in our Hope Kids. 
where if our kids have been participating for a few months, that the expectation is for us to serve in the ministry. Because we get to participate in something we're involved in and being served by. The church is a family. And our life together is often similar to a shared meal where we all are participating to help create and provide for it. We are changed and impacted and served as we serve. And we experience meaningful relationships that go beyond just feeling like an outsider or an observer, observer or consumer. Instead, we get to participate. We get to shape. We get to impact and remember that it's not just for us. Our souls are also permeable and our souls also are changed as our souls interact with others who serve them and care for them. This is a call to generative relationships rooted in mutual love and tangible service. Now, I know this is not a a sermon about kids' ministry, but as we talked about practical ways to put what Proverbs teach us into practice, this seemed like both an easy and clear step to where we could take this and, and be served and serve others as our souls are permeable. And if you are already serving in our kids' ministry or in another area, let me remind you of the value of when you're down there once a month. We're not just filling a slot. You're impacting little souls as you embody the love of Jesus in word and deed. Even as as we're in that classroom with those precious kids, our presence permeates their souls And they have the opportunity to be with someone who loves and cares for them. We're not just filling a slot. I mean, even when all Hades is breaking loose down there, even like probably like right now, so I need to wrap up. Everyone is probably crying at the same time. Remember, we are permeable. Those souls are permeable. Even in the passing of the peace, in every worship gathering and service that we have, even in the passing of peace, it is an act of permeability. Literally, and it, is, it is a name of us transferring the peace of Christ to another person. One of the joys of family life is sharing a meal together where we're all per, uh, helping to create and provide for it. That means we both get to serve and receive at hope we desire for all of us to serve as parents, those that value the disciples, discipleship of children to be involved in caring and serving each other. For us to have community, for us to have family, we have to be, be with, both with each other and serve together. Because that is what Jesus embodied for us. Jesus came to us as the fulfillment of a healthy relationship. Jesus has shown us what wisdom and relationships look like. Jesus has shown us what the relational grain of the universe looks like. How is that embodied? He embodies the positive elements of relationship, of love, patience, kindness, goodness. Jesus has embodied the elements of closeness, honesty, transparency, and service and sacrifice. And if we believe and follow him, he offers that gift of perfect relationship and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus died to provide healing and redemption for the negative elements of sin, weaknesses, and wounds that happen in relationships. 
So whether you are a believer and follower of Jesus or not, I want to give all of us some hope that change can happen by the love and grace of Christ. It, may, it might take longer and be harder than we think, but Jesus offers transformation of the soul through a relationship with him, through relationship with others, and his indwelling presence in us through the Holy Spirit. In just a second, we're going to take communion together. And as we tear off that bread, we remember Christ and his broken body that provided us relationship with him. As we dip that bread in the cup, we are reminded of his blood that was shed to remove the barrier of our sin so we could experience intimacy with Christ. Also during this time, if you need prayer, there are people that will be in the back hallway just out to your right where there's an area of some couches that would love to pray with you and to just be with you and to be a loving presence in your life. But as we come and remember Christ, let's remember our souls, they're permeable. They're permeable. They're permeable. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that you have initiated relationship with us, that you've come, to, you've come to heal us, you've come to change us through relationships. We thank you and praise you for that. I pray you'd help us not to isolate, but that you'd help us to move towards relationship with you and with others. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As you're ready, come and receive Christ.